Would you please uh, bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Lord, I thank you for the scriptures and how they open our minds to see you as you truly are. Lord, I pray this morning for a vision, for a heavenly vision, the kind that would take away fear and apprehension and worldliness. And I ask you to help me as I preach this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We've come finally to the end of our eight-week study in uh, Daniel, and um, Daniel 10, 11, and 12 really kind of holds together, and that will be in my mind as I preach on just part of Daniel 10. But I want to begin by telling you about an experience that I had 19 years ago. 19 years ago, Heather and I were living in Sheffield, England for three months in a type of study sabbatical, very unstructured, uh, but it was in Sheffield, England, and we had gone to immerse ourselves in a church that was doing interesting and effective ministry in what has been dubbed a post-Christian culture. In England, very few people even claim to be Christians. And in the city of Sheffield, this church was spreading out like wildfire. Many people were coming to faith. It was growing. They were doing missions work. They were having all sorts of kingdom experiences. And it was a church that was very prayerful, not unlike this one. There were many gifted people there um, with special abilities the Lord had given them. Uh, Prophetic abilities, words of knowledge. There were some healings. Um, And Heather and I went there when she was pregnant with Hannah, so our first child. We got there in August, and we were meeting various people. And um, one of the guys we met there was a man named Derek. And Derek was a bit unusual. He had some oddities about him, but he also was incredibly anointed with what seemed to be that sixth sense I was talking about. He just seemed to be spiritually in tune to things in a way that others were. Now, he was a little bit weird, and... Um, He was a single guy and he kind of moved around and he showed up for a while and visited some small groups and was in prayer ministry for a bit and he kind of, I don't know, he just kind of moved around. Um, And one of the pastors there uh, with a snicker referred to him as Derek, the roving Gen X prophet. He was was about Gen X. And what was interesting, uh, this was September and it was 2001 and on about the 7th or 8th of that month, um, Derek just was gone. And um, somebody said, what happened to Derek? And then another person said, well, he, he was praying and he just felt like the Lord said, I want you to go to New York. So he got on a flight, he flew to New York City on September 9th, 2001. And then two days later, the unthinkable happened and 9-11 happened. And we were sitting there in England watching on TV what was going on and just all kind of imagining Derek wandering through the streets of New York, praying with people covered in dust, ministering to those who had need. And the Lord just simply sent him to New York. I've never heard of or from Derek again. I don't know what that ministry was like, but he was so in tune, it made me hungry for more. I wanted to be in tune like that. And, you know, many of us have a problem, and kind of two related problems. One is a spiritual blindness, where we're not aware that other things are happening beyond just the flesh and blood that we see. And it's a spiritual blindness, and with it comes a, what I'll call, a temporal obsession, where we're kind of obsessed with this life, the temporary things. We're living for the here and now, the eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die mindset. And when we fail to see as Jesus sees, we'll overestimate worldly glory. Now this morning, I'm going to suggest to us that Jesus heals the blind. 
And I don't just mean the physically blind, which he did heal, but also spiritual blindness. And we're going to see the beauty of holiness as well as the battle in the heavenlies that is going on. And I'd like to ask this question. Do you long to see spiritually as well as physically? In John uh, chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who has literally been born blind. And when this man finally catches up with Jesus and learns who he is, he falls down before Jesus and worships him. And right after that, Jesus says this, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees that were nearby heard him say this, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. They had a whole lot of religion, but they didn't have spiritual vision or insight. Do you long for spiritual insight? Do you want to have the eyes of faith? In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, and he's praying for them to have the gift of revelation of God's knowledge. And he says, he's praying that, quote, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened that light would shine into your hearts to see the spiritual reality. Now, in Daniel uh, chapter 10, the Lord does this for the exiles. I don't want us to jump too far ahead out of the context. Remember, we're in Daniel, and we're very far before Jesus' incarnation. These are the, the, this is the period when the exiles were in Babylon, and they were going to be there for a long time, and then God was going to bring them back into the Holy Land to rebuild Jerusalem. And you might think after suffering that long, they would go right back to Jerusalem and it would be easy. (laughs) But it wasn't at all. In fact, if you read the book of Ezra, you hear about the struggles they had. They were going back into a land that they had been exiled from 70 years earlier. And there were squatters all over the land who had for seven decades considered it theirs. And when they heard that people were coming back, the Jews were coming back into Jerusalem and were going to rebuild the temple, there was much opposition. It was hard. It was difficult. And I think they started to expect a temporal ease. We've done our time in Babylon, and now we should have an easy time. But there was a struggle, and they were getting discouraged. Now, Daniel, keep in mind, he was like 14 or 15, 16, somewhere in there when he was exiled. And 70 years later, he's old. He's in his late 80s. He's not going to make the arduous journey back to Jerusalem. So he's going to live out his days in Babylon, which by now has become Persia. It's been taken over by Persia. And yet he's identifying with his people. And so we pick up in chapter 10 of Daniel in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And it says, in those days, verse 2, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. He was mourning for three weeks because of his people's struggle. They'd been sent back, but they'd been sent back to start all over. And he was feeling their pain, and he was praying and fasting. And he was praying and fasting for a couple of reasons. One, to identify with their struggle. How can he sit in comfort when the people were struggling? He wanted to identify with them. And he was interceding for them. He was knocking on the door of heaven and asking God to help them. 
And fasting and that kind of prayer really helps you intercede. It's interesting to me that Daniel is bookended with fasting. Remember when we started this eight weeks ago in chapter one, Daniel's exiled, he's brought into the court in Babylon and he refuses to eat the king's food. He fasts. And here in this chapter, he's fasting from luxurious food, from wine, red meat, nice tasty things. He's, he's intentionally holding back on that. The, the entire story of Daniel is bookended with that kind of fasting. Grace Anglican is going to have a day of prayer and fasting on Friday. I'll tell you more about that at announcement time. But this has been part of the people of God forever. Now, in verse 5, he has an angelic visitation. It says this. He's, he's by the Tigris River. and says, Daniel writes, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. And he goes on and describes this person, this figure. Now you might think, well, linen is the clothing that the priests wore in the temple. It was a purity image. It was priestly clothing for service and worship. And gold, of course, is pure. It's kingly. It's regal. It's rich. Maybe this is a pre-incarnate Christ showing up to minister to Daniel. But when you read down a little further in verse 11, this figure says that he was sent to Daniel in response to his prayers. And the Lord is never sent. He's the sender. God never is sent by someone. But he's the one who sends his ministers, his angels, his people to do ministry. And so this is some kind of an angelic visitation. And the the description in here is very vivid. It goes on and says, his body was like barrel. Beryl is a crystal, a very colorful one, a precious gem, you might say. His face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. This is a pretty vivid description, and if you think about it, it's kind of terrifying. In fact, in verses 5 and 6, we learn that, excuse me, in verse 7, we learn that Daniel's friends were all terrified. They trembled and they fled away. They just ran away from it. And Daniel alone is left there. And then in verse 8 and 9, it says that great trembling fell upon him. He was left alone. He saw this great vision. No strength was left in him. His strength was just wiped out. It says that he fell on his face in a deep sleep on the ground. He was face down. He he was then touched on the back and he got up on his hands and knees and he was trembling. At one point it says he was mute. He couldn't speak. He had no strength. And it's just a terrifying experience. Now let me stop there for a minute. Think about what this might have done for the exiles. To the exiles and to us. It's a reminder that God is almighty. We serve a powerful, holy God. And so often we're blind to that and we're just kind of, I don't know, frivolously living and we're missing the fact that God's glory is like this. And should we come into his presence, it would be terrifying. So yes, exiles, you're having some struggles. You're going back to the land. You've lost seven decades. It's been hard. But God is almighty. He's with you. He's the one sending you back. He'll help you do this. Now, the first type of blindness 
is blindness to the beauty of holiness. Visions like this one are very sobering to us. And they're also very edifying. They really lift us up. They give us a perspective that puts this world and this life kind of in a pale light. We realize there's a whole lot more going on. Whenever, if ever, you have this kind of experience, it will change you. I remember uh, maybe a couple years ago, I was preaching in our normal pulpit, in our normal sanctuary, and um, I was very much aware that there was someone behind me, and I just felt the, a, a presence there. I knew it. I knew it, and I felt he was helping me preach, whatever this was. I presumed it was an angel. I didn't know. I didn't see anything. I just knew standing behind me was this being. Two of you later that week came up to me a little bit sheepish because you weren't sure what my reaction was going to be. And you said to me, you know, when you were preaching last Sunday, I actually saw an angel in the church. Two different people that did not coordinate came and told me that. And I said, I know. (laughs) I felt it. But and it was just It's a sobering thought, and frankly, it scares me a little bit. It's a reminder that we're not just playing at church here. This is eternal work. It's very significant. It has eternal consequences, and sometimes we kind of just treat it lightly, and we shouldn't. And think about in the scriptures other places where these kind of experiences happen. You're familiar probably with Isaiah chapter 6 when... Uh, the prophet Isaiah gets his vision. In the, king, the, in the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And he gets this vision, much like Daniel does here in chapter 10. And, and his response is very similar, except he can actually speak. Daniel's struck mute for a while. Isaiah says, woe is me. I am lost. Those are his words in Isaiah 6. Or in... Um, 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul gets a similar type of experience. It's so moving. At first, he can't even refer to this in the first person and say, I had this happen. He says, I know a man who in Christ 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Let me tell you what the third heaven is. The first heaven is those clouds and that blue sky you can see. The second heaven is what we would call outer space. The third heaven is that realm, if you will, where when we say the word heaven, that's the heaven we're talking about. He was caught up into that heaven. And he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. The reason they cannot be told and may not be uttered is not that he's not permitted to do so. But how do you describe something that is so beautiful, so majestic and glorious? You have to use analogies. Well, it was kind of like really colorful, like crystals and gems and diamonds and sparkling and fire. And it sounded really loud, like rushing water or a multitude of voice. You see, you have to use the kind of things that we know in this life to explain it because words fail. It's that glorious. The beauty of holiness is that glory, glorious. And Paul goes on and he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and keep me from becoming conceited. You see, Paul had caught such a glorious vision 
that it had the temptation for him to puff him up. Like, I got to go to heaven. I know what's there. And so right with that came some kind of a thorn in, in his side. And he begged God to take it away. And God said, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. And he, Paul learns that, that God's strength is displayed through the weakness of his servants. And that's us. Likewise, God's strength is on display as he works through weak people like you and me. Jesus also had uh, a moment in his ministry where in John chapter 12, he, um, he prays to the Father right before he's going to go to the upper room and then the cross. He prays to the Father. He says, Father, glorify your name. And a voice comes from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it. And then Jesus says to everyone that heard it, this voice wasn't for me. This was for your sake so that you could hear this so that you could get a glimpse into the beauty of holiness, how majestic our God is. The second type of blindness is blindness to the battle going on in the heavenlies. Many of you are familiar with Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. These are in the spiritual realms. And so we tend to think our enemy is that person over there that's against me, but really there are spiritual realities even behind that. Principalities, powers. He's referring to the tension and the clash between angels and demons in the heavenly realms. And in Daniel, we get a glimpse not only of the beauty of holiness, but also the battle of the heavenlies. So look at this. In Daniel 10, chapter 13, it says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Wait, what? Who are these princes? What's going on here? And who is this speaking? See, it's not, I said already, it's someone who's been sent from the Lord. So it's not the Lord himself. I speculate it could be maybe the angel Gabriel, because he is actually named in the prior chapter and comes to Daniel. So maybe it's the angel Gabriel. And he's been sent to go and encourage Daniel in response to Daniel's praying and fasting. But he gets into some kind of a clash. He says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. I have, a, I have like a thousand questions about this. In fact, this kind of thing is why many preachers don't want to go into Daniel at all, at least not the second half of Daniel, the apocalyptic writing here with this kind of language. But this insight here is given to help us, to encourage us, to give us a picture of the spiritual reality behind what we can just see physically. It helps us. It heals our spiritual blindness it dispels our temporal obsession. All of a sudden we realize it's not really just about money. It's not really just about our earthly power. It's not really just about my job or my family or my recreation or whatever it is. There is a whole other thing going on and those things are involved in it, but there's a bigger thing behind all of this. There's a danger when we start talking about angels in the, that battle, there's a, a danger of forgetting that Christ is seated on the throne. So remember what we say in the creed. He ascended to the right hand and is seated. He's ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is victorious. He's the Lord of all. He's seated because his great work is done and now he's ruling from heaven. 
and he sent his spirit to be in, in the hearts of believers and in the world, and he's got his angels as ministering beings, I guess. See, words start to fail me pretty quickly to describe this, but I want us to open our eyes a little bit and realize this spiritual reality is the true reality. It's an eternal thing. These beings are eternal beings since they were created. And God uses them as ministers in this life. And there's a danger also of obsessing over them. So consider what was happening in um, Paul's letter to the Colossians. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, capital H, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So Christ is the head and he has a body and that body involves all of his people and the work of God involves the angelic beings. Angels are real. Scripture has ample testimony to this. Many people have seen them in this church and elsewhere. This is the, the true spirituality. And to see it, it changes our response to life. Jesus heals our blindness with this image of the battle in the heavenlies and with a glimpse of the beauty of God's holiness. So what do we do with it? Well, first of all, it gives me a longing to be dialed into my relationship with Jesus. I want to be closer to him. I want to experience more of that because it is what's coming forever and ever for us to be part of that. I don't know about you, but I oftentimes will sense God's presence. For me, it's most commonly in worship on Sunday morning with God's people breaking bread together. It also oftentimes for me happens in nature. Interestingly enough, we have both going on right now. Are you open to these spiritual realities? Are you hungry for more of God in your life? Are you willing to invite him to give you that kind of spiritual sight? Another thing it does to, to see like this is it, um, it takes away a little bit of the hope we have just for this life. And that's a good thing. If we put all of our hope in this life, we'll be disappointed especially our particular American way of life. And right now, so many of us are caught up in politics. And it's like all you hear all day long, as if it's all that matters. And there's a whole lot more. We don't have to fear politics. One of the things that this Daniel does for the exiles and for us is it reminds us that Jesus is Lord. He's the one who's in charge. He has ministering angels. He is the one who puts people in places of power. So we don't have to fear. Although I ask a question, I wonder who's the prince of the United States of America? There's a prince of Persia, there's a prince of Greece that will come after, there's a prince of Babylon. I, I wonder, but it makes, it quickens my own prayer life. I go, wow, there are powers beyond the politics of parties and all these things. There are other things at play here. And so the third thing is the importance of prayer for our world. The Apostle Paul writes to, in his first letter to Timothy that he says, I urge first of all that intercession should be made for all people, especially kings and rulers and leaders, that we need to pray for these people that are in political positions, that they would rule well, because so much does matter. And so if we're going to interact in the heavenlies, 
It's done by prayer and with fasting. So this morning, I want you to ask Jesus to open the eyes of your heart, as the old praise chorus says. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see the beauty of your holiness. I want to understand a little more about the battle in the heavenlies, and I want to take my part in that. The Ephesians 6 chapter says to put on the armor of God. Paul actually tells us what to do. You're not fighting flesh and blood. It's about principalities and powers, and the one way that God's people here are able to participate is through prayer. Prayers make a difference, and I don't know exactly how. There's a lot of questions, like I said on this, but I know it's important for us to pray and to pray in truth and to have the gospel and be in God's word. And just read the the second half of Ephesians chapter 6, and you'll see the picture of the armor of God and what it looks like to be a person of prayer. You know, every Sunday we go to the Lord's table, and the Eucharistic prayer reminds us that it's not just us here. It's with angels and archangels and all of the heavenly company. We're participating in something greater. And let that lift your spiritual vision. Let Jesus heal your spiritual blindness. Invite him to open your heart to the spiritual realities. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've seen things that are too great for us in your word this morning. We've seen things that we don't understand. But we've also caught a glimpse of your beauty and the battle that is going on in the heavenlies. Jesus, I'm mindful of the words in the epistles that you have raised us. All who are Christians have been raised with you and seated with you in the heavenlies. But Lord, I ask you to help us to live into that truth, that identity. And for anyone here this morning who does not yet know you or trust you, I pray for the gift of faith. Give them the courage to ask you to open the eyes of their heart. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.